We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2022 3M Open. Picks, research, first look, guess the odds. You want to jump to a certain section? Hit the time codes. As always, smash the like button to the episode. Give me your favorite. I would call them a sleeper in this field, but your sleeper is probably going to be like 16 to 1 to win this week based on what we're seeing as the list of entrants in Blaine, Minnesota this week. This tournament is the first one. It's not the first one to really feel the squeeze of the Live Tour, but scheduling placement the week after the Open Championship just inherently means that a lot of the top guys just simply are not going to play. However, a lot of the big names that previously played in the 3M Open are all now on the Live Tour. Bryson, Dustin, Louis, even Matthew Wolf, who got his first career win at this course, scumbagging by Bryson Bet that week when he putted in from just off the fringe for Eagle on 18 to beat Bryson and Morikawa. And I thought sky was the limit for old Matthew Wolf. You know what? He made bank. Just he doesn't do it on the PGA Tour anymore, so he's not in this field. So it's pretty interesting. Uh, the Listeners League is now open. It's only 2,000 spots. It's probably what we're going to go with for the rest of the year as golf has started to wane after the Open Championship. I hope the Open Championship went well for you from a financial standpoint. Uh, the viewing experience was not great in terms of coverage, but it was a lot of fun to watch. So, I mean, it's not done as I'm watching this right now. I'm going to try to get out of here, go watch the end of the back nine, and hopefully something good happens. Maybe Dustin Johnson will birdie nine holes in a row. Who knows? And Maybe I'll cash my money. If not... You know, DraftKings turned out okay. Uh, the bets, not so great. The weekend really killed a lot of my guys, to be perfectly honest. Burmista Mista lady shoots up. Thirsty Lawrence goes down. That's the end of my week. That wasn't the only one. Scheffler on Sunday. I don't know if the guy forgot how to putt or not. But, hey, that is where we're situated at right now. The field for the 3M Open this week is, uh, like I said, it's kind of dicey. You got... 
let's see here. Hideki, Finau, and Sungjae are the top three in this field. That's who, you know, when you're looking at the world rankings, when you're looking at FedEx Cup points, quality of player, those are the three names that really stand out. We do have this mini tier right below them. That's like Hadwin, Tringali, JT Poston, Davis Riley, Bezadenhout, Todd Father. Tigala is playing, coming over from the Open Championship. CT Pan, Merritt, Hoagie, Steele. This is the second tier. Remember, of players in this field. Cam Davis. Jason Day is here. EVR. I remember we all fell into the EVR trap the first year or second year. The 3M Open exists. Like, oh, dude has got Minnesota ties. Played. I believe he was a golden gopher. And then it turned out that he has hit it in the middle of the water every single time. That wasn't great. Uh, Ricky's in this field, too. So you have Hideki and Ricky both playing in the 3M Open. Now, the rumors were swirling that Hideki was going to join the Live Tour immediately following the conclusion of the Open Championship. He still may do that because it's not over yet, so I don't know the future. But I would be kind of surprised at this point that he put himself into the 3M Open only to be permanently banned on Monday. I mean, I don't know what is going on with that. I thought Ricky was joining the Live Tour too. Apparently that's not a thing. Maybe he's waiting for his like pit money to pay out from the PGA Tour. And then he will go join the Live, but he is in the field this week. Like Grio, Sink... Higo uh, are all playing. They're all coming over from the Open Championship. Uh, Higo actually had a really nice weekend at the Open. And then you have Chris Goderup, who hasn't been seen since he absolutely flamed out round one at the Barbasol when we all had money on him. I think he was 40% owned on DraftKings. Uh, he'll still come up pretty highly in the odds, I'm guessing. But that's where we're at right now. We take a look at the tournament history. Hadwin, I think, has the best he has two top 10 finishes and two starts, is what we're looking at for Adam Hadwin. Finau has played it all three years, made the cut each of the three times. Finau, Tringali, Hadwin, Charles Howell III, and Bryce Garnett are the top five in overall strokes game. This is only the fourth year that this tournament has been in existence, so I just kind of go back and take a look at that. But what else do we have on the go here? Uh, the past winners, Cameron Champ, minus 15, Michael Thompson, minus 19, Matthew Wolf, minus 21. So it's gotten progressively harder each of the years, although the field strength has diminished each of the five years. So we go take a look at Cam how Cameron Champ did it. A lot of putting last year, drove it okay, Hit it okay, couldn't really chip, that didn't really matter, but he just putted the lights out. Uh, we had Johnny Vegas last year. Didn't, I mean, he ended up coming two shots behind, but I believe he struggled Saturday or Sunday to really take himself out of the mix. Of course, it was a TPC course, so hey, there's K.H. Lee. He's not even playing in the field this week, so it's going to be pretty tough to really find top-end guys that you feel comfortable with outside of M, Finau, and Hideki, and even so, like those three generally speaking, versus the rest of the very elite players in the world have been pretty unreliable throughout the course of the years. They're not like the, the stone-cold lock players you'd want at the top of the field. So trying to find one of those mid-range guys, potentially even a long shot, might be the way that you want to play it this week. And even to look at how guys got there. You see Champ, he's a bomber. Charles is not a bomber by any means. Louis somewhere in the middle. Vegas bomber. Keith bomber. Well, let's just go look at driving distance game. But I think a lot of these guys actually scale back off the tee a year ago. I remember Champ just hitting, eh, Champ still gained a ton, did not gain as much as Vegas or Keith Mitchell in that regard, but he was dialing it back a lot off the tees. I've actually walked this course. I went to the first incarnation of the 3M Open. It's a pretty cool course, and just when you look at it and with the amount of water traps uh, around the course, like you're going to you're going to have to have some penalties. It just reminds me a lot of PGA, an easier version of PGA Nationals, essentially how I would go about it. So let's see, Bram, Vegas, Bramlett, Mitchell, Rogers, EVR, Matthew Wolf, Cameron Champ, 
list trainer. Uh, this is when I saw a trainer. Trainer walking around. The only guy walking around with him was his girlfriend. Charles Howell III. Like, all those guys finished in the top 10 in terms of driving distance gained on the field. They, I mean, they all made the cut because they got the extra two rounds to pile up a lot of that stuff. Someone like Tom Lovelady did it in two rounds. He wasn't very good. So there's no really one skill type that you really want to go with. Guys can conquer this course in myriad ways. Uh, if you have a great putting week, you're probably going to do pretty well. If you have a great driving week, probably going to do pretty well. If you have a great irons week, probably going to do pretty well. So if you're going down below like $7,500, obviously I know that uh, DraftKings stuff isn't out as of yet, but uh, Raza and I have talked about this a lot in terms of when you get down to that $6,000 range, is there any one thing that anyone does well? And you might just hope that they really spike in that category where they do have that baseline skill set and overperform that week. And that should be good enough at a course like this in the face of everything else going wrong with the rest of their game. But that one elite skill set in a field like this can really come through. So here's the course. It is TPC Twin Cities, 7,431 yards, bent grass greens, Already went through everything in terms of how you score. They have that uh, par 5 over the water, which you can make eagle on. 3.2 eagle percentage on that hole. But it's a lot of, hey, let's just try to get it over that water, chip it close, and tap in for birdie. It takes a pretty high-flighted, excellent shot from deep in order to carry it onto that green. You'll see a lot of guys, there's water down the right side of that hole as well. So there's going to be a lot of layups to around 90 feet left of everything. Then you just have a very like flip wedge in, and hopefully you can control the spin enough with the pin placement in order to end up getting it close. I remember the year that Michael Thompson won, he ended up in just this awful bunker. I forget what hole it was. It was this downslope bunker shot. And it was just amazing. Uh, the fact that he was able to even get it somewhat close. He ended up tapping in for power. He ended up winning that week. It was just a really impressive shot. When Michael Thompson ended up winning, it kind of clicked in my head that you know, this does remind me of PGA National a lot. It's not that you're going to have direct crossover with any of those things, but guys that can keep themselves out of the water off the tee, out of their second shot, and just kind of grind around it, with the extra part that you still need to make a ton of birdies at this course, where you can potentially win PGA National at minus seven, minus eight, in some years, that's just never going to happen here unless the weather is absolutely disastrous. Looking at showdown, yeah, there. I guess if you take the guys starting on the back, although you have a bunch of really difficult holes sandwiched around the two easy ones. Like number 18 and number one are very easy. Two and three are tough. Number 17 is tough. 14% birdie rate on number 17. 17% birdie rate on number two. That seems to be better than the lead up of 8, 9, 10, which 16% birdie rate, and then nine is the hardest hole on the course. It's the only one with a sub 10% birdie rate. So you're probably not going to generate a lot of birdie streaks going 8, 9, 10, 9, 10, 11. Then everyone gets the shot at doing 10, 11, 12 if they want to. It does seem more likely that 17, 18, 1, 18, 1, 2 are more plausible if it's ever going to happen. I don't think you really need to structure your teams in that way. But if you wanted to, it's not the end of the world. Take a look at these par threes. The par threes are tough here from what I remember. I remember number eight, you have to hit it over this, like you have to land it just over on this thin green. It's very long, but it's very thin. There's not a lot of landing area. And you have to get over this like bunker and fescue that's right in front of it. I watched Luke List absolutely mangle this hole. It's how I, it really sticks out in my mind when I was following around Luke List. But number 13 and 17, both over 200 yards, two of the six most difficult holes on the course. The one I'm talking about, number eight, also over 200 yards, 204 yards. It's, uh, I mean, you make more birdies than bogeys <clears throat> on the hole, but it's basically a par hole. Like, you just get it close, chip it on, boom. It's not one where you, if you get a birdie there, you're really kind of stealing one. It's probably a long putt that gets 
and unless they have a really generous pin position, which a lot of the times that they don't, especially on Sunday, then hole number four, uh, it's just slightly below average in terms of difficulty. Still not an easy hole, however, 177 yards, still the easiest par three that is on the course. In terms of the par fours, uh, you have the one that is one, sorry, 379, number 10. None of these are eagle holes. You can just kind of hit it to wherever you want. It's a second shot hole. Um, and even the birdie rate, you'd think for a 379-yard hole would be higher. It's 23%. Guys still make bogeys on this hole, too. Uh, number, let's see, one and five are the two easiest par fours on the course. They're 416 and 421. Then you have the three par fives. You can make eagle on any of them. 18 is the most likely. They're not necessarily eagle holes, but you can get there in two. But they're all pretty. It's funny because the birdie rate for number five is super low, but it has the highest eagle rate of the bunch because of all that water that's in play. That it's not just a layup birdie hole, but if you can get aggressive enough, you can make eagle on it or two putt for birdie. The layup is not a situation you want to be in. And the only time that you would have to lay up is if you either put it in the water, get caught in that rough before the water, or just don't, if you end up before the water and in the rough before it, where all of the hospitality tents are, you probably just don't have a shot you feel comfortable with clearing a gigantic body of water. And you can get yourself into a lot of trouble if you fly the green too much too. So you have to come back down over the hill with the water in front of it, that it essentially becomes a par hole if you hit a bad drive on it. Uh, Number 12 is the easy birdie hole, but again, 2.4%. Eagle rate isn't looking the best. We take a look at how it played last year in terms of course conditions. You see, uh, you know, hitting fairways was difficult two of the four rounds. Round three, it was pretty easy. It was very windy the first two days at the course. That's the first time that we saw that in the 12 total rounds from TPC Twin Cities as a part of the PGA Tour. Fast greens, par 71. As always, the rough is very long. There's like weird fescue all over the place as well that, you know, it's not the open championship, but you can get yourself going in a bad way if you get completely thrown off on some of these holes and they could lead to big numbers and the water it makes it a very volatile tournament put it that way just because big numbers are out there uh, and most of it just comes from poor driving now uh, your second shot's probably not going to get in, you into too many problems on a lot of the holes but a wayward tee shot not great you think that would mean accuracy but it like a lot of the longer hitters were just clubbing down off the tee. That's what Cameron Champ did a lot last year. He just put driver back in the bag. He has so much length that the increased accuracy really worked out to his advantage because he could still carry it so far where a lot of guys feel tempted to hit driver on some of the longer holes because you have to clear water um, on them. And then, you know, all of a sudden water starts getting into play or that fescue gets into play. Then you have absolutely no recourse if you start going off the beaten path. So something to watch out for. I think that any sort of skill set can work at this course. Again, if Champ can win, if Bryson can come in second, if Matthew Wolf can win, yet Adam Hadwin finds himself with two top tens in his career, any skill set is going to be good. Just who was playing well that week, and especially in a field dearth of talent, it becomes even more volatile in that sense. I was thinking about, um, I don't know if I'm going to make this the last research show of the year, but, you know, football's coming up for me. That's that's big for me, as it turns out, it starts going back to seven days a week for four and a half months. I might just cut the Pat Mayo experience back down to four days a week. I have some best of shows in the can as well. Uh, you know, best of Cam and Pizzola, a few more Cuss Corners. I might start releasing those either on Sunday or Friday and give up on these because I just feel like the interest in golf is really waning at this point. So uh, this might be the last one. We're still going to get our you know Jeff show, Tambo show live on 
9.15 a.m. Wednesday mornings for the DraftKings Picks with Tambo. Those aren't going anywhere. But, you know, I want to free up my weekend, spend some time with my family before I completely neglect them every Sunday for 24 straight weeks. Uh, you know, wife's putting a bit of pressure on me for that one. So hope you don't miss this one too much. I really love this show. I know there's people who really love this show. Uh, and maybe it won't go anywhere, but we'll see how my Sundays start going. Stats, uh, and this model has worked for me. This has actually been one of my better DraftKings tournaments. Still haven't hit an outright here, but overall, I feel like this model has been set up pretty well for the 3M Open. Strokes gained off the T, 15. Strokes gained approach, 30. Birdies are better, 10%. Opportunities gained, 5%. 5% on that key par 3 range of 200 to 225 yards. Par 4 is 15%. Par 5 is 10%. Eagles, 5%. And par 4 is 450 to 500 yards. 5%. 5%. We'll load that in. It will tell us Tony Finau, and we can go on our way. Probably not, because we need to find who are the second and third tier guys we actually like this week. So we'll take a look at it from the past 50 rounds, and then we'll take a look at it from the past like 12 or 24 to see who comes in with just very good form at the moment. Yep, Finau's number one. No surprise there for what he does well. So Finau, Hideki, Sungjae are not only the three just logically who are the best in this field, by the stats are also, over the past 50 rounds, they're the three best guys as well. Hoagie's next. Hoagie continues to pop up in the models, although it feels like he hasn't had a really good turn in some time at this point. And I don't know how to factor in guys coming over from the Open Championship or even guys that played the Barracuda. Uh, yeah, it's been five straight missed cuts for Tom Hoagie. I think he's he was in the Open. I think he missed the cut there as well, so it's probably six straight uh, missed cuts for old Hollywood Hoagie at this point. Not great, Tom. Although he does have the win on the year, he secured his tour card for three years. He's probably fine. It's been a bad run of golf for Tom Hoagie at the moment. Goderup comes out six. I mean, there's probably zero chance that I won't bet Goderup, and they're going to make him, like, unbettable odds. I'll bet it anyway. He'll be, like, 20 to 1 in this field. Maybe worse when it comes down to it. Hopefully, there's sort of, like, a scarlet letter on him after what happened at the Barbasol, being such a popular guy. Davis Riley is an interesting one. I haven't seen him play in ages. I don't know what he's been doing. Uh, he played at the Travelers. That was the last time we saw him. He lost eight strokes putting that week, but he had a beautiful run all the way up to it. Uh, made the cut at the Honda, so that's encouraging to see. Does he have any pronounced splits on one thing? Uh, great on pass Palum, bad on Poa, as we saw at the Travelers. The Travelers is severely impacting that. Benton Bermuda, he's around even, but we know he's sort of a spike putting week type guy. See 9.4 on pass Palum in the Mexico Open, on Bermuda at the Valspar, 7.1. The Sony on that, like, coastal Bermuda grass that they have at YLI, 4.1. Rarely gets it like really bad into the negatives. He did it at Valero and he did it at the Travelers on Poa and Bent. But overall, he's actually a pretty good putter. And we've seen him do well on some Bent. Memorial was bent and fast. Schwab was bent grass, over two on each of those. Uh, the Byron Nelson was bent grass, 3.1 there. I Just because he's been out of sight, out of mind recently, I don't know if it's really going to kill his odds, but you might catch like a 30-33 on Davis Riley. Hubbard and Hadwin both been playing well. They're both inside the top 10. Svensson is, continues to be up there. He kind of blew it at the Barbasol after you know two really nice rounds to open things. I don't know if he's the sort of player that he just rides for and there's a lot of consistency. We just know that he has the underlying skill set. He has a very nice run-up into all this. Was very good at the Honda earlier this year. Uh, you know, lost everything on putts. But again, that was a nice little lead-up for him in driving and approach. Uh, over the course of Pebble, the Amex, and he's going through that same sort of wave at the moment. Putted the lights out at John Deere. Didn't do anything else well, but the tournaments that surround that, Svensson had played pretty well. I just, I don't know how, if I want, I just don't know if I want to bet Adam Svensson at 35-1, to uh, which he potentially could be in this field. The Gala's odds are 
probably going to be in the 20s. Same with McNeely. So some guys will have to get pushed down the list. We'll see how Laird finishes at the Barracuda. He was in second going into the final round. Steele is someone that I think should absolutely get a look, the number one player in the field. On par, uh, sorry, off the tee over the past 50 rounds. Uh, he started to refine his game. He was popular a few weeks back, didn't do much with it, but he just kind of continues to be. It was at the Travelers. He came 25th, but he's been like sort of steady Eddie over the course of the past few months or so. You know, very good ball striking. We see him in 2019, very good tee to green at this course, could not make a putt to save his life. I mean, that's kind of par for the course for Brennan Steele. Can you, he's sort of like a mini Luke List at this point of that tier of player. But the approach has been absolutely fantastic. The driving has been amazing. That's the type of player that you want to bet on because if the putter shows up, the other stuff has been so consistent that he could really do some damage. And the putter has been less bad lately. I know he lost 6.2 strokes at the Travelers, but gained, just barely lost, lost 2.1, broke even. Like, that's actually a good stretch for Brennan Steele at this point. I believe that Bent is, no, Bent is actually his worst. I was going to say it's probably his best. It is not. Jeez, Brennan Steele, get it together, pal. And if the wind does pick up, uh, he's better than the field in windy conditions. He plays difficult courses a little bit better, which the course would be if it ends up being super windy. But he's good everywhere. So ball striking-wise, I think you can count on Brennan Steele this week. Let's see who else is down there. Poston, even with the, the win in the second at the Travelers, it's really hard to get a gauge on him. He started off really hot at the Open, and that all went away. Bez has been playing some good golf recently, made the cut at the Scottish, obviously was second at the John Deere, made the cut at the Open, so stuff is pointing upwards for him. Tringali was awesome at the Scottish for two rounds, and then it all kind of went away for him. Callum Terran, another player who played really well at the John Deere. Now let's take a look at Nick Hardy. Hardy 30th. I don't know if he played in the Barracuda or not. I'm not going to lie to you. Didn't have a very close eye on what was happening at the Barracuda as all of this was going on. But a string of really good performances, especially off the tee for Nick Hardy recently. Uh, missed the cut at the Honda. Most of that was due to very poor approach play. If you can get a good approach week at a Nick Hardy, could be pretty good because he gained a ton of strokes putting at the U.S. Open. If you go to usopen.com, you can find all of those as a proprietary to the USGA and whatever deal that we have with Shotlink will not give us to them at Fantasy National. Once again, fantasynational.com slash mayo to get yourself 20% off any of the membership levels, and you'll just lock in that rate for as long as you want to be a member. Johnny Hunt, EVR, they're all still popping up. Doug Gim, great performance over in Scotland. How has Dougie Gim been doing? It feels like it's been bad. Yeah, 16th at the Genesis Scotland, 18th at the RBC in Canada, and then bloop, bloop, John Deere and Traveler. So the harder the field, harder the course, better Doug Gim plays. Yeah, six of the players. And like all the easy courses, he's absolute crap. So interesting with the Gim Reaper, what he's up to. Let's shrink down the sample size. And we'll go to past 12. Not the most reliable of round ranges, very short sample, but you might be able to catch some players that were way down on the list that you may find are trending into better form as of late for the key things that we want to look at for the 3M Open. Finau remains number one. Steele is now number two. Poston, number three. Svensson remains up there. Thigala, Hubbard, Laird, Nick Hardy, Goderup, Charles Howell. Charles Howell's never missed the cut in three turns in Blaine, so that's interesting to go look at. Uh, he was very much in the mix of the year that I want to say that Michael, not Michael Kim, uh, Michael Thompson ended up with. Michael Kim was like on the leaderboard at one of these tournaments. I'm like, Jesus, Michael Kim. Marty Fish is in this field, by the way. Tennis player. Marty Fish. That's how they're trying to draw excitement for a crap field. You know, some use Steph Curry, some use Tony Romo. I, is Marty Fish from Minnesota? Is that why he's playing? I don't quite get it. Nice little run here, though, for who am I looking at? 
for Charles Howell III. Three consecutive cuts made. If we take a look at the 3M, he has that third place finish two years ago. That was the Michael Thompson year. Three consecutive cuts made. The approach is looking good. Probably, I mean, does anyone ever want to bet Charles Howell III? No, is probably the answer. But as a DraftKings play, although he'll probably be like 9300 bucks, he is playing better golf right now. And that's worth noting. Matsuyama, Gleeglick, Davis Riley still up there. Cam Davis still up there. Uh, obviously, he goes back to Rocket Mortgage where he's the defending champion. Next week, Sungjae sort of on a downturn. He's been kind of hit or miss. He has not had any sort of a modicum of consistency over four rounds since he missed the PGA Championship either by having COVID or being around someone who had COVID, but he was in South Korea. He just hasn't been the same since he's come back. Johnny, uh? I mean, you know I like my guy, Johnny. Huh? Reavy rates out number 19. He may win the Barracuda. He was up by a bunch going into the final round. So it's been a bad turn for John Hunt as of late. Two consecutive missed cuts. But let's see how he's done at the 3M. Missed the cut at the 3M. He's been a good Honda player over the course of his career. So maybe his accuracy off the tee. And now that he's just simply in better form, generally speaking. He had a nice three-stretch run, 12th, 25th, 13th, and now he's back to being John. Uh? Again, you can see it all kind of hinges on his putting. Is he just not going to putt himself out of tournaments when he doesn't do that? He's not bad. Very good around the greens, too, if you're not going to hit a bunch of greens in regulation. That's been very consistent for him. Chesson Hadley continues to pop a little bit. Danny Lee, that you always know that's going to be one good round and one terrible round, and you have to hope the terrible round doesn't absolutely scum his week. T. Dunks is up there. Funny, a lot of guys who have played well at the RSM, just looking through it. I don't know if Svensson or Poston have played well there, but we know that Howell's won there. Duncan is one there. And now they're coming back into form at the moment. Take a look at them. Gim, Svensson, and Poston. How have they done at the RSM? I don't know if there's any sort of correlation in that, but you know, can't hurt to look. RSM, oh, real good go for Svensson at the RSM. Three missed cuts in his career. See Poston, how he's done at the RSM. He has a 14th with five missed cuts. Probably guys that you don't really want to target at the RSM, I suppose, which is hoping to find some sort of correlation that could go through there. Maybe Sony open? Just because It's really hard to find guys and dig through in terms of correlation where this field is so weak. You really have to only compare it to other weak field tournaments. And then, I mean, if it's Sony, Hideki's going to win. Uh, he won at Hideki. He won at the Sony Open this year. But we know that Charles Howell's had some great runs at the Sony. So it's just really hard to compare apples to apples with any sort of tournament, especially when you start injecting higher-end names into some of this stuff. You'd figure that you know Brendan Todd would be good here or Adam Long, but it just has never really translated through. Maybe it's finally the year that uh, Cameron Tringali gets that win somewhere on the PGA Tour. But, I mean, he's making a career off top five, so... You know, it's pretty good for him. Sixth at the Genesis, 14th at the U.S. Open. So good performance, bad for performances, all kind of mixed in. Two top 20s the past two years, including a third place finish for Tringali. I would expect him to be popular and probably overpriced this week, but there's not a player that you're likely to look at, except for maybe the very high-end guys on DraftKings when you start digging into it. It's going to be like, oh, Hideki is 11300 I mean, is that mean he's overpriced? Probably not versus this talent. That's probably underpriced. It's all these mid-tier guys that are going to be wildly overpriced from the expectation that you're used to at the at any tournament just because this field is so weak. So we're seeing some of the names pop up here. Let's see. In terms of opportunities gained, uh, so who's pin-seeking over the past little bit? Hubbard, Goderip, Steele, Hideki, and Gim. Sungjae, uh-huh. Austin Cook, Hayden Buckley. 
Cameron Champ. I mean, Champ could repeat here. That wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. We know his lead-in form doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what his lead-in form is. Champ's won, what, three times on the PGA Tour now? And just, like, garbage in every other event. Hadley, Riley, Wes Bryan, Grio, Laird. Laird was very popular. He was second going into the final round of the Barracuda. Not sure how that's going to turn up. Higo just has, like, two good rounds of tournament now. But at least those good rounds are coming back for him. He's someone who's always going to attract my money. I just love myself some Garrick Higo. Young guy, lefty, can pile up birdies in bunches if he's going right. So maybe continue to go right and uh, pick up his second career PGA Tour win. Along to go with that Canary Islands Euro Tour win during the COVID swing over in the Europe swing season. In terms of odds this week, uh, it's going to be very difficult to parse and figure out. Hideki, Sungjae, and Finau. Hideki will likely be the favorite. He'll probably be like 12 to 1. Finau will probably be 12 or 14 to 1. Sungjae, 14 or 16 to 1. Those are going to be the big three. They're probably going to be relatively unbettable. Unless you really want to bet Finau or Hideki and just go all in on that. That's going to be tough. I'll probably scale back a lot of exposure. I've been taking the last two weeks anyway. I had good Scottish slash Irish. No. Irish slash John Deere, I had a good week there with Goderup and Moronk. Gave a bunch back at the Scottish, and I'm going to give a bunch back unless something crazy happens at St. Andrews. So it's not that I want to scale back because I've lost the last two weeks. That doesn't really matter to me. And I mean, it matters to me. I'd like to win. But in terms of my overall exposure, I just don't feel comfortable with this field until I see the odds. They start pricing people down the board, then I'll be in. But I don't want to just go out of my way to spend as much as I normally do because I need to bet. That's not really how I go about golf betting. I like to bet to have fun, so I want to have fun when I'm betting. I just don't want to bet to bet. That's never something I've been particularly interested in. DraftKings-wise, I can see this being a more fun week. So down in the description, playing the DraftKings Listeners League. Link is now open. The next tier, guys, you got like Goderup and Hadwin. Thigala. They're probably all in the 20s. Look. That's not great. Jason Dale will be like 30 to 1, although you probably don't want to bet Jason Day. Poston probably gets some. Davis probably gets some. Tringali, Bezadenhout. Those are probably your guys you're looking at between 20 and 35, potentially even 40 to 1. Svensson and Hubbard have both been playing really good golf, so his Laird, so they're probably in that 30 to 45 range. I don't hear a great bet so far, is what I'm telling you, based on what these odds. That doesn't mean that these tournaments don't have value. As Tambo will for sure mention on the Wednesday show, that these are always the best DraftKings fields to go play in because everyone's just kind of on the chalk. No one wants to do a lot of research. This is where we can kind of dig in and separate ourselves. A good week to play pivot plays, low-owned plays, because the discrepancy between the chalk and the low-owned plays is going to be huge. There's going to be 39%, um, probably not 39%, okay. there's going to be like a couple 25-plus players this week because everyone will gravitate towards the same sleepers once the price comes out, and they'll look like great plays because they probably are. Great plays. But you try to play the good plays every week on DraftKings and you don't win. So you might as well try a different strategy at this point. Like, what's really going to be the difference between Cameron Tringali and uh, who's someone who's likely to be not very high on this list? Uh, Tyler Duncan. I mean, that's probably too much of a discrepancy in talent. Let's just pretend they're equivalent players. Tringali is better than Tyler Duncan. But let's say they were separated by $200 on DraftKings. One guy's 28%, one guy's 3%. And in these weird fields, you can actually see those types of gaps. 5% is probably a better explanation, better example that I could use. You're just better off playing the 5% own guy, honestly, in a field like this. Because it's so volatile, we're not dealing with the very high-end players. There's a reason that all these guys are playing in the 3M and not taking the week off. 
be perfectly honest with you, that the skill gap isn't as large between a lot of these guys as you think. So just glomming on to one chalk guy, unless you're absolutely convinced, it's probably better off to go and look in a different direction. You can play some of the chalky guys, obviously, but you don't want to load up with the seven most owned guys. And in a field like this, there's going to be the temptation to do that in GPPs. And I'm telling you, you don't want to do that, especially in the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League. Link down in the description. Let's go play right now. Let's still fill it up. Only 2,000 spots. So spots are going to be pretty tough to come by this week. And maybe there'll be some additions to the field on Monday, some withdrawals. Jeff and I will talk about it all. And then DraftKings wise, Tambo and I will hammer it down with your live chat, 9.15 a.m. Eastern time on Mayo Media Network. Thank you all for watching. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.